you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Well, we've come to the last episode of Season 7, covering the topic of Satan's confusion versus biblical logic. It's essential for the Christian to have a good understanding how Satan works so that we can wisely think through it. Hopefully, I've communicated how important it is to know God's Word in order to apply biblical logic to our situations and problems. We cut through satanic confusion and noise with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses Scripture to clear our minds so that we'll be useful to God in His kingdom work. So what happens when a Christian is not spending much time in God's Word? Sadly, this is the case with many of our brothers and sisters. Satan has a heyday when the mind has very poor scriptural defenses set up. I truly believe that one of Satan's greatest schemes is to raise the illiteracy rate in every generation. When less people can read or spend any significant time reading, that means the Bible isn't being read very much. Modern technology has not done us any favors. While the invention of the Kindle and the iPad has certainly made books more accessible, people seem to be reading less and less. It's just so much easier to binge watch Netflix movies or television series. Reading has always been hard work. It takes effort and mental energy to read. So Satan has been able to make technology work to improve our lives of comfort and ease and not in a positive way. Many books have been written on how the internet, social media, and other entertainment media has literally rewired our brains. We are much more tuned in to images, video clips, and short messages than in long books. So if the Bible becomes boring or too difficult to read, what happens next? How do Christians clear up satanic confusion? By the grace of God, the Spirit does convict our hearts of sin. But without the Word of God, the Spirit can more easily be quenched in our lives. Okay, have I made my point? Do you need any more exhortation today to stay in your Bibles, to read and meditate on God's Word? There's a reason why what I do is called biblical counseling. It clearly and positively states that Scripture is the foundation for dealing with our problems. We need the counsel of the Holy Word of God to be able to cut through the confusion of the words of Satan. So we finish this season with one last contrast, one last way that Satan creates an imitation to try to eradicate the work of the Spirit. We'll call it tolerance versus judgment. But just to be clear, Satan may confuse the believer, but he can never truly win us over. He can't take our salvation. He can't beat the work of the Spirit. All he can hope for is to distract us and lead us to settle for less than a victorious Christian life. By God's grace, let's work to not give Satan that opportunity.
tolerance. We hear this word all the time, don't we? We are regularly told that there's too much intolerance in our world today. Tolerance is purported to be the only right way to live. Listen to some comments from websites dedicated to the importance of tolerance. Tolerance makes it possible for people to coexist peacefully. Tolerance is the basis for a fair society in which everyone can lead the lives they wish. To be tolerant means that you accept other people's opinions and preferences, even when they live in a way that you don't agree with. Tolerance means that you don't put your opinions above those of others, even when you are sure you are right. Tolerant people show strength in that they can deal with different opinions and perspectives. Tolerance is the act of accepting the values of others. And then the last one, teaching children to be tolerant is the greatest gift you can give them. As you can probably tell, there are those who believe tolerance is the greatest of all virtues, the most important characteristic of a peaceful society. So why is this particular understanding of tolerance actually the work of satanic confusion? Well, let's break it down. First, tolerance brings a false sense of peace. As I discussed on the podcast on surface peace versus peace-filled rest, one way to get a false sense of peace is to avoid conflict. Being tolerant of other people's views and beliefs often begins with a desire to avoid conflict. After all, if you tell someone, I think what you believe is wrong, that person probably will not say, oh, thank you so much for pointing that out. I don't want to be wrong. Tell me the right way to think. No, to disagree with another person will produce conflict of some kind, especially when you are intolerant of a deeply held belief or viewpoint. So if you want to keep some sort of peace, become tolerant of all opposing views. Just smile and say, you have the right to your view. Your view is as good as mine. What you think is true is clearly true for you. Satan wants to confuse us into thinking that a sense of false peace is better than conflict. It may feel like it, but does it bring more glory to God? What good is peace between two people if it means never telling each other what you really think? How close can that relationship be? If your best friend believes that abortion is okay and is a right a woman can exercise freely, is it better to be at peace by never challenging that belief? I would hope that you would not be at peace with her view. I hope it would make you very uneasy and very uncomfortable. To tolerate unbiblical views and beliefs is to communicate that peace is more important than what God calls us to. We Christians can miss many opportunities to be witnesses for Christ when we simply take a posture of tolerance in order to keep the peace. Now, I'm not suggesting that you look to stir up conflict. And of course, you must be wise in how you confront a friend's belief. But if you somehow communicate that what they believe is true, then you are misrepresenting Jesus and God's word to them. And then second, tolerance is based on the wrong definition of fairness. One of the opening statements I read said that tolerance is the basis of a fair society where everyone is treated as equals. 
Now, we as Christians should always be all about justice, that everyone in this world is equal under the law of God. But that's not what Satan means by his view of tolerance. Let me give you an example. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Is this fair? Is this treating all belief systems as equally good? No, Jesus was definitely being intolerant, telling people that his way is the only way to eternal life. Tolerance's view of fairness is that everyone's beliefs, views, lifestyles, etc., are equally good and equally right. But the reality is that this view of fairness is very hard for anyone to live out to its logical conclusion. While today we are to tolerate homosexuality as just as right and good as heterosexuality, do you hear anyone advocating that we should tolerate rape or incest? Even the most tolerant of people are typically intolerant of something. It's just a matter of where you draw the line. Biblical fairness is not about everyone being equally right or equally good or ending up with equal praise and benefits. Biblical fairness is rooted in the fact that all humans are made in the image of God, which means all humans deserve dignity and respect as human beings. A fair society is about all living under a just system of laws and an impartial justice system. It does not mean that we tolerate any belief, view, behavior, or even religion. Don't let Satan confuse you into thinking that being fair with another person is accepting how he is thinking or living. It's fair to listen and to hear what others believe, but to tolerate it is not really about true fairness at all. Then third, how are we as Christians to accept other people's opinions and preferences? This is another mark of tolerance, some kind of acceptance. But what does it mean? If your friend believes that people evolved from monkeys, you can certainly accept that that is his opinion about the origin of human life. You can accept it as his opinion again. But that's not really what tolerance says. Accepting means that you agree that I have a valid viewpoint, that my opinion is as good and decent as yours. Now, if we're just talking about opinions and preferences regarding music, movies, TV shows, or your favorite color, we can certainly accept the opinions of others. But if acceptance means that I must see your viewpoint as good and right and proper, then we have a problem as Christians. My example of the evolution of the human being is faulty, though. Sadly, people who hold that view don't describe it as an opinion, do they? They describe it as a scientific fact. So if you don't accept that view of evolution, you are a science denier, someone who doesn't believe the truth. Do you see how challenging it is to accept another person's opinions and preferences? If they are wrong, you're doing the person a disservice to simply accept it. And in many cases, it's not good enough just to say, let's agree to disagree. Sure, you may only end in disagreement, but agreeing to disagree sounds like both views are equally valid. Instead, in many cases, you will have to say, my view is right because it's true. 
or my view is right because it's based on God's word. Which leads us to the next related point. Tolerance redefines every truth or lie as simply opinion. This is where the idea of what is true for you is not true for me comes into play. To avoid the reality that there is truth and there are lies in this world, you just make everything an opinion. So the tolerant person who accepts someone's Buddhist religion has to say, well, my Christian faith is just my opinion. It's just true for me. In this satanic confusion, you can't be truly tolerant unless you categorize everything in this life as simple opinion. Universal truths have to be thrown out the window. Hopefully, you see why Satan wants people to reject universal truth. When you reject that, you end up rejecting Jesus Christ. You end up rejecting true Christianity. Christianity just becomes one option in a universe of opinion. So today we are called upon to tolerate homosexual marriage. Marriage between one man and one woman is just one of many options. Homosexual marriage is just as good as heterosexual marriage. To reject homosexual marriage is to be intolerant to gay people. It is no wonder our young people today struggle so much to stand for truth. Truth has become an outdated and outmoded subject. It is so much easier to speak of everyone simply having different opinions, with all being equally important. Just to be clear, there are certainly opinions out there among Christians that are equally valid and simply display a difference of opinion. We can debate those and even tolerate someone's opposing view. One example during this pandemic is the issue of whether or not we should wear masks in church or even open our church services. But again, this is not what people who espouse Satan's view of tolerance are talking about. They work to get everything on the level of opinion, and then it simply becomes a battle between majority versus minority viewpoints. And then fifth, tolerance is weakness, not strength. Now, at one level, I can understand how people believe showing tolerance for the views, beliefs, and practices of others shows strength. Listening to and learning what others believe does take some emotional and mental toughness. Personally, I find it challenging to sit and listen or even read on social media the views of others that are opposite of mine. So maybe I lack some strength of character. But what takes real strength is standing for what you believe and lovingly correcting another, especially a fellow believer. To speak takes much more godly strength than to be silent. And to speak the truth in love takes the power of God at work in our lives. Tolerance is all about staying quiet, about smiling, nodding our heads in agreement. To say anything in opposition is just not tolerated. So I believe tolerance comes from a position of weakness, thinking that if we all tolerate each other, then we will all get along. True strength of character involves taking the risk to speak and to lovingly show where someone is wrong in their thinking, beliefs, attitudes, and behavior. Which leads us to our last point. Tolerance is not the greatest virtue. Love is. To put it another way, tolerance is Satan's imitation of love. It looks sort of like love. 
it seems to be the most loving thing you can do for another person. After all, we all love to have people agree with our viewpoints, right? You can quickly become my best friend if you simply believe the same way I believe about absolutely everything. Or at least tell me how great all my beliefs are. But what if I'm believing something that will hurt me, will destroy me, will end up leading me to hell? Wouldn't tolerance be the exact opposite of love then? Yes, it would. To tolerate the wrong views of others is actually to show contempt and hatred for them. Or at the very least, that you don't care about them very much, that you're indifferent. Love is needed to speak the truth to others. Love desires to help someone see the truth and to help them change their thinking. It is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts that changes us, that brings light into our darkness of thinking and belief. To embrace tolerance as the highest virtue is to not really love people at all. And worse than that, it's not loving God, the God of truth and the God of light. So one Holy Spirit alternative to satanic tolerance is love. Loving others will necessarily mean that we cannot tolerate the lies that they are believing or the activities and behaviors that are against God's word. But the other essential antidote to tolerance is judgment. Christians are to judge rightly what is truth and error, darkness and light. To many, even some Christians, judgment sounds like a bad word. It just sounds so mean and unloving. Some would immediately go to Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for the judgment you pronounce will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So does that mean we cannot be involved in judging others? It sure seems like it. Well, let's go over judgment principles by starting with this point. First, Christians cannot judge the heart. None of us are the Holy Spirit, even though we as Christians have been given wisdom by the Spirit. We can get into much trouble when we begin judging motives or judging why people are doing what they're doing. No one can see into another person's heart or mind. So we are not to judge what only God can judge. Most importantly, we cannot ultimately judge where a person will spend their eternity. But this doesn't mean that we can't judge what people say, what they believe, or what they do. Those things we can see, understand, and discern. Again, we cannot pronounce judgment on the heart of another or condemn them to a life in hell. That is left to God alone, the perfect judge. And then second, Christians are not to be judgmental. Now, this is a bit trickier to describe and to understand. Christians can appear judgmental simply because we are pointing out what is right and what is wrong. But being judgmental is more about being hypercritical, always focusing on what a person is doing wrong and missing what they're doing right. Parents can certainly get stuck being pretty judgmental of their children or spouses with one another. Judgmentalism lacks love, lacks hope, lacks patience. It's not able to give a person the benefit of the doubt. It is too quick to speak, too quick to get angry. 
and slow to listen. Just because we are to have righteous judgment does not mean we descend into constant judgmentalness. Sadly, some Christians can just seem angry all the time, frustrated by other people's behaviors. They can appear not to believe that God is the victor and his purposes will prevail. But another important thing to recognize about judgmentalness is that it comes from a place of pride and self-righteousness rather than humility. It does not speak the truth in love. It does not esteem others higher than we esteem ourselves. So we must take care not to allow Satan to turn proper judgment into constant angry judgmentalness. We will lose our ability to truly help others and show mercy and grace. Third, we are not to be hypocritical in our judgments. This is some of what Jesus is getting to when he speaks about not judging others. Not only can we be self-righteous, but we can be sinning in ways worse than the other person is sinning. That's why in the verses following, Jesus talks about getting the log out of our own eye first. We must examine ourselves before we can take the speck out of another's eyes. So we are to judge, but not as a way to avoid our own sin and wrong beliefs. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do not suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. The focus here is judging others for practices, for sinful habits that you yourself are doing as well. One that comes to mind is how often we can be critical of someone else who is gossiping, but then gossip ourselves, sometimes about the gossiper. We certainly must be careful to not be calling something wrong, but justifying it when we do it ourselves. That sets us up to be judged by God and as a bad witness as well. But this does not address the fact that we must still be offering sound judgment of wrong views, wrong beliefs, and wrong practices as well. So let's move on to our next point. Christians are commanded to have sound judgment and with the right standards. Proverbs 31.9 says, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And then John 7.24 reads, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So Christians are responsible to judge as opposed to just being tolerant of everything going on in our world. The issue is, are we operating from sound, godly judgment, or are we exercising some sort of false standard? Judging by appearances is not the way we can make sound judgments. Judging by standards other than God's word is not the way to make sound biblical judgments. So it's essential that Christians know the word of God, that Christians offer biblical counsel and live by biblical truth. Now, this is easier said than done. Even the Christian can mistakenly think that he is operating from sound judgment when it is just opinion. 
think about it. Living with a desire to be tolerant ends up trying to make everything into a subjective opinion. So when Christians make what is simply their opinion sound like it's gospel truth, then we also run into problems. So work to back up everything you believe with Scripture and then acknowledge the places that we actually have freedom to have differing opinions. Our standards are supposed to be God's standards, not our own. We exercise that sound judgment as an ambassador of God's truth. Think about it. What good does it do to enforce our own standard of truth anyway? Do you ever struggle with simply wanting people to do things your way to agree with you rather than wanting them to do things God's way? I know you think your ways are God's way. At least I do. But none of us are fully conformed to the will and heart of God. We are in the constant process of growing in the mind of Christ, so we will think in his ways. Sound judgment does not get defensive because it's backed up by God's word. Having God's standards make us depend on him to work in people's hearts. We stand for truth, but we can never make someone else believe that truth. Well, just one more principle on judgment to recognize. God is the ultimate judge. Listen to Romans 14, 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then James 4, 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Even though Christians are to judge with sound, righteous judgment, we don't do it disconnected from the judge of the universe. God alone is judge. He's the perfect judge. When Paul speaks of passing judgment on your brother, he connects it to despising your brother. This is judgmentalness. This is condemnation. This is not love. We are not to pass final judgment on another person. Again, God alone knows the heart. This fact should bring you great peace. It's not all up to you. It's not on your shoulders to decide who goes to heaven or who goes to hell. You are not God. But as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, you are to administer justice in the name of God and rightly discern between good and evil, right and wrong, truth and lies. Rest in God's truth. Speak the truth in love. Know that since God is not tolerant of evil nor tolerant of lies, you can't be either. The ultimate problem with Satan's definition of tolerance is that it takes God out of the equation. If there's no objective truth, there is no objective truth giver. There is no God. Christians are to proclaim what is right and true and to live that way as well. That gives glory to God and is used by God to draw people into the light of truth. So here we are at the end of season seven on satanic confusion versus biblical logic and truth. We could probably come up with several more contrasts, but we'll leave it here for now. But it is worth finishing up with some associated bullet points that may help you with any individual marital or parenting struggle you may be going through right now.
Here we go. First, God is more powerful than Satan. He will not leave you in a state of confusion. Second, if you are depressed, anxious, or angry, think about the lies of Satan you are mistakenly believing. Then consider God's opposing truth. Third, if you are married, take an inventory of the 12 imitations of Satan and see and discuss which ones are impacting your marriage in a negative way. Fourth, if you have children, teach them more about Satan's deception and how to counter it with the truth. Fifth, a good part of your sanctification is learning to believe truth rather than lies. God allows Satan to weave his web so you learn the counterfeit, thereby strengthening the truth. Sixth, you've been given the church, the body of Christ, the community of saints to walk with you in your trials and testing. Get encouragement and help from his people. Seventh, read God's word, learn God's word, love God's word. It's the sword of the spirit that destroys the confusion of the devil. And then finally, be soft and sensitive to the conviction of the spirit in this whole process. He is at work in you. He is growing you in grace. He will protect your mind and heart. Repent of your sins as you fight the good fight of faith. Satan may be confusing, but he will not keep you permanently in the dark. Walk in the light of the Lord. Until next season, God bless. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.